We're thrilled to be partnered with Qatar Racing. Qatar Racing is a subsidiary of Kipco, the largest sponsor in British flat racing. As a global racing and breeding operation, Qatar Racing Chairman Sheikh Fahad bin Abdullah Al Thani has created an expansive international sponsorship portfolio to include the Breeders' Cup and events like the Pegasus World Cup Turf. Qatar Racing has over 100 horses in training, many mares and foals slash yearlings, and four top-class stallions, Kamiko, Zustar, Havana Gold, and Lightning Spear. Don't miss out on the great Qatar Racing action, and you can learn more at www.inthemoneypodcast.com slash Qatar. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. We've got a special week of content. We're going to be doing daily shows for Ask It. They've already started to drop, but this is our regular early week show, as it were. And we're going to start off with uh, a chat with our man, Nick Luck, a little bit later in the show. Special guest presentation, Maggie Wolfendale, interviewing Jenna Antonucci. You may have seen that on YouTube already, but I wanted to make sure we got the audio in there. Peter Thomas Fornital coming to you from a lovely hotel on the outskirts of Ascot and uh, sitting outside as I record this in the morning of day one. Really looking forward to a fun week of stuff. And I see really uh, no reason for delay. Let's get to our first interview right after this. We're very excited to be partnered with Naira for the rest of 2023, where we will feature Saturday racing coverage each week on the Players Podcast, as well as daily write-ups and analysis at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. Also, be sure to look for our picks on the Naira website under their Picks, Plays, and Promotions page. Lastly, make sure not to miss America's Day at the Races coverage across the Fox family of networks. Get to see a lot of In The Money uh, crossover talent on there, including uh, JK and Maggie and Acacia. For a full schedule of coverage, you can visit InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash TV. Special truncated version of the show this week, and we kick it off, it being Royal Ascot Week, with a man we turn to for all things related to uh, international racing, or really racing anywhere. He is, from his own eponymous podcast, NBC Sports, many other places, Nick Luck. Nick, how are things? And at the moment, Pete, uh, they're great. I'm actually just in Kensington Gardens, as you do, uh, just about to walk into the Goss London Sale, which has become this traditional eve of Royal Ascot um, gathering, obviously, a chance to, to get a, a last-minute runner at the Royal Meeting. If the, your pockets are as deep as, as yours, say, or, or Jonathan Kinchin's, I'm surprised. Actually, he's probably in there now. He as, might uh, be. As we're speaking. For us mere mortals, however, it's a, a very good chance to uh, get a glass of something cold and fizzy just to tee you up for the week. And it's beautiful weather at the moment, as you know. Absolutely. I would love to do the sale one year, but this is my tradition. A Royal Windsor on the Monday. It's such a fantastic race course and good Christmas Eve vibes here, you could say. Nick, I know you don't have a ton of time, but I do know, given your uh, love of the Breeders' Cup and affiliation with Same, we got to talk about these win and you're in races. And we kick off the meeting on Tuesday with two of them, starting with the Queen Anne Stakes and a very familiar name in modern games. Are you with or against in here? What do you think of the race in general? Well, perfect, perfect kickoff for that association between Royal Ascot and the Breeders' Cup, isn't it? Modern games is becoming something of a uh, of a legend, really. And it's funny, isn't it, given the fact that he's a, a dual Breeders' Cup winner who races for Godolphin, that he's always had this slight underdog 
feel about him because he wasn't native trail and he wasn't Caribus. He was supposed to be the third best three-year-old miler in Godolphin's own stable in his in his sophomore year. You know, now he's a four-year-old. There's no doubt that he's he's there. You know, their flagship their flagship older horse. And I think that was a really important addition to his CV at Newbury last time when he won the lock-in stakes. And it's a question of quite whether this stiff uphill mile at Ascot was within, within his compass. I think it just stretches him slightly. And for that reason, on her seasonal debut, I think might be the time to catch in Spiral. She's definitely got a quirk in her. But I think if you want to catch her any time on her seasonal debut is the time to catch her. I think it could be a perfect start for Dottori. Very interesting. It'll be uh, it'll be an amazing race. Get things kicked off. Amazing what a bang the meet starts with, with the Queen Anne. More win in your inaction later on the card in the King's stand. What do you think about this one? Uh, it's a tremendously competitive race. Got great international interest. The Australians seem full of confidence about Cool and Gatta. Uh, and if she's anywhere near in the same sort of talent parish that Nature Strip was in, she'll probably win. But in Highfield Princess, she faces a, a rival who on her domestic and European form at any rate uh, should be more than a more than a match for, for any sprinter in the world at, at this track. The connections seem pretty confident. I think she's kind of the likeliest winner, Highfield Princess. If I wanted one at a bigger price and I think could surprise a few, uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Twilight Calls run really well. He was second in the race last year. He gets Ryan Moore. He's 18 or 20 to 1. I think he'll be ridden really, really cold. He'll be trying to pick them up late. But for the first time this season, he's actually got conditions that'll suit him. And for that reason, I think he's kind of a play amongst the bigger prize horses. But really, in terms of interest, in terms of international interest, in terms of really setting the meat light, it's about Australia with Cool and Gatta, the UK with Highfield Princess. And let's not forget our old friend Wesley Ward uh, as well, who I, I think feels that, that he, he, could, he could have a say in this race. Yeah, Twilight gleaming uh, going forward. It'll be very interesting to see how she stacks up. Probably has something to find, as they say over here. But what an amazing story that would be for Ward, who, of course, has yeah. 12 Royal Ascot winners. I, I think she could run okay. I think she could run okay. You know, people have always associated Wesley with the, it's with the two-year-olds. But, you know, Lady Aurelia won this race. And you know, uh, we saw him win the Commonwealth Cup on a disqualification a couple of years ago as well. And, in fact, it's three Royal Ascot since he had a two-year-old winner. So... Yeah, I think we probably need to be a bit more open-minded. She's been working very well at Chelmsford. Uh, my guys were down there for the Sunday show on uh, on the weekend, uh, and they were saying of all the horses, that was the one they were getting the nicest vibe off. Very interesting. Michael Adolfson, who knows his uh, onions, picked on the, the show we did in the deep dive on Tuesday as well. So some wise guy support for Twilight Gleaming, for sure. Wednesday, we've got the Prince's Wales Stakes. How is this one shaking out? What's the likelihood this could produce a Breeders' Cup runner? Six runners but six good ones. I don't think Classic Causeway is going to win, but he'll probably run in this and then run in the Breeders' Cup later on in the season. <laughs> uh, but fair, fair play to Kenny McPeak for having a go. And I think he th thinks he found a bit of a tactical angle as well. So I think he thought it, it could be a, a, a race with a muddling pace. And that it, it's it's one of those. It, it's, it's sort of there to be seized by the scruff of the neck because they're all sort of staying 10 furlong horses rather than rapier turn of speed 10 furlong horses. They're all high class, but they're all kind of galloping tens. They're sort of 12 tens rather than miling tens. Yeah. So uh, uh, yet none of them is really a confirmed front runner or pace setter. So it's, it's weird. It's got the potential to be a muddling race, which won't really suit any of them. So I, I think that could play to Luxembourg, really. I think Ryan Moore is just going to drop him out in front and try and, and try and say, catch me if you can. Um you know, you'd like to see a horse like Baybridge go forward, but the problem is he's been too lit up at the keen in his races. 
So he needs to get a bit of cover to, to settle, really. And I, I think I think Luxembourg could just get out and do a state of rest last year. And I think he's the likeliest winner. And you can bet your bottom dollar he'll turn up at Santa Anita at the end of the year. Final Breeders' Cup win and your in-race is the Norfolk Stakes, one where there's a history of American success. Who do you think is going to get it done this year? I actually think American Rascal's an okay price. And the reason the reason it's okay price is because of the presence of elite status in the race. Elite status looks such an exciting prospect when winning the national stakes at Sandown. In any ordinary year, that horse would be a very, very heavy favourite for this. In a, in a year without elite status, I think American Rascal would be a very, very heavy favourite for this race. If, if the weather stays like this, I think Wesley might pull this off again. To be honest, be amazing to see. What are we thinking weather-wise? I've, I've, I feel like I've seen it dry and then wet and then back again. I, I don't know what, what are we what are we thinking at this exact moment. Well, there was supposed to be a load of storms yesterday. They didn't really hit this part of the country. Uh, Ascot only Ascot got you know, negligible rainfall. Uh, I think we start the meeting on pretty pretty quick ground, um, and uh, you know there, there's a little bit around in the forecast, but it could get really hot by the end of the week. You know, it could get up to low 30s which is what, you know, low 90s, high 80s, yeah, low 90s. 90s. Oh, not going to be but fun in the, in the coat and hat. That'll be, you know, you need a, you need at least a middleweight, a middleweight, uh, you know, <laughs> suit, not one of the real heavy jobs. Um, <laughs> it's going to it's gonna be sweaty, I think, by the end of the week. Whether It's really just a question whether these thundery showers hit. You know, we're not in a period of, like, intense low pressure or anything like that. So I, I'd be surprised if it ended up soft. Nick Luck showing his meteorological chops. Give us one other horse or race you're looking forward to. Can be a tip or can be from a sporting point of view. Oh, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to all the races. I mean, I'm quite looking forward to, you know, normally if you ask me a question like that, I'd say the longer races rather than the shorter races. But actually, I, I'm, well, I'll give you two, perhaps one of each. I'm looking forward to the Coventry Stakes tomorrow because it's a great clash between two schools of punting thought, really. Uh, you know, the Ballydoyle followers with this River Tiber and the Time guys with a Sadner. There's been some really lively social media debate about oh, yes. that. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm thoroughly looking forward to seeing uh, probably neither of them win. I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure. But uh, but I think that'll be that'll be that'll be fascinating. Um, the Gold Cup, I always love. I, I love the Gold Cup. I think I think Eldar Eldarov is the horse of the younger brigade that is is the most credentialed. Um, last year's Queen's Vars winner, but I would love to see Subjectivist come back. I mean, that would be one of the great training performances of all time. That'd be, I think that'd be a training performance of De Hoss-like proportions yeah. if he were to come back and win a, win a race over two and a half miles at the top level after a serious tendon injury. So uh, I, I'm looking forward to seeing him. And I'm looking forward to the Jubilee Saturday, to be honest. Uh, six eights there with um, big invasion of, uh, of, uh, of Christophe Clement. I, I think Jim Crowley's going to take the ride on him, uh, and he'll be he'll be up against uh, Artorias, who I think is the likeliest winner, the Aussie horse. Um, and you know, if I feel Princess goes and wins the King's Stand, she might wheel out again. So, you know, that that race could get more interesting as the race goes on, as the week goes on. Could be great conditions for Big Invasion, who seems to find trouble tight tracks around the bend. Maybe yeah. it'll be what he needs. And, and and let's face it, that Breeders' Cup turf sprint form. Because on the day, the Wesley blew out and Highfield Princess didn't run quite up to her best. We all kind of went, mm, yeah, wasn't much of a race. And of course, look what's happened since. Um, it's starting to look a damn sight better now than it did at the time. And it might just be that Caravelle and Big Invasion were the two best horses in the race. <laughs> Great stuff. I know you got to go. Enjoy the sale. Tell people where they can find more from you this week, Nick. 
Uh, I'll be with Scott and Gabby on FanDuel, uh, covering all the racing Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then with Brittany, Steve and Dylan on NBC, big NBC, uh, nine o'clock. So that's, uh, what are we, uh, two o'clock Eastern on Saturday for a big four hour, big show on NBC, uh, which follows. And, and the interesting thing is that Dottori's last ride looks like it'll, at a Royal Ascot will be in the Queen Alex. And I think it'll be on Stratton for Willie Mullins if he lets him ride him. Uh, he'll he'll go off one of the favourites, and uh, and and hopefully that that'll uh, get everyone watching on Peacock as well for that last race. Two local nine Eastern, I think, for that. Is that right? That's the one. Yeah. Excellent. Great no, stuff, yeah. Nick. That, that's Thank what you. I meant. I said it the other way around, didn't I? That's I never. I, I never get. I never dreamed I'd have the chance to correct you on air. I I had to be Always. cheeky and do it. <laughs> Top man, Pete. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Cheers, bud. The Monmouth Racing Calendar continues. Great racing down there always known for their handicapping contest and so much more great success last weekend with that free contest on Haskell preview day and so much more coming up. Some key dates to pay attention to July 22nd. That's going to be the Haskell handicapping contest. You can still try to win your way in through horse tourneys or you can buy in directly. And uh, there's going to be a lot of other great stuff as well. Live racing all summer long make sure you check it out and uh, bet monmouth and hey visit if you can as well great racing experience from our friends at monmouth park I don't. now he started we're good all right one two well so pleased to be joined by this year's belmont stakes winning trainer jenna antonucci jenna i know you're a busy lady right now so thank you so much for being on in the money my absolute, absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Jenna, you said if you, there's no room for you at the table, make your own table. Well, you've done so. And the seats at the table are the most sought after ever. I'm not sure about that yet, but we're, um, you know, we're going to keep it in, in line and in thread with who we are. And um, I was asked earlier kind of about that to a certain degree. And, you know, we're just going to continue to surround ourselves with great people. And those great people are what have gotten us to this point to to enjoy this crazy ride that we're on well talk about the crazy ride I, i've seen you make many uh news appearances did you ever envision yourself doing all these interviews no and, and that's where i think staying in the moment and letting things develop naturally honestly is so important and um you know of course you can get caught up in the little of the what if scenarios kind of throughout life of if you had an opportunity for this or that so i think those little nuggets are stored in the back of my head and i'm um, just trying to make the absolute best of this and hopefully promote our sport in a way that may be more appealing for people and um that you know it's it's not such a predefined box that we are often put in yeah, exactly. And I love that because you can tell that you have those little kind of sound bites. You've had them stored. And I think it's so reflective of the person that you are because you're inc an incredibly intelligent woman. You are very forward thinking. So be honest, when a horse like Archangelo came into your barn, did you foresee this happening? No. And yeah. You know, you've watched it firsthand. You're a phenomenal horsewoman yourself, and you've been around it. You grew up around it. You're married to it. Um, we have all had those horses in the morning that look like they are the next coming of, and they show up in the afternoon, and it's like, where, where'd they go? What, what, why? <laughs> you know, and it doesn't matter what you do at that point. That's who they are. And if they don't have that desire for it and that burn and that little X factor, we can't train that, and, and we'd be fools to say we can. And so, you know, watching him develop and want it, 
and digging in for it and developing and, and liking it um, and all of those little things. I think he likes to win. I think he figured that part out where he's like, oh, that was kind of fun. That was kind of cool. And we talked all week and how he loves to have his picture taken. And so that he wants it in a winner's circle is just we're the huge benefactors of that. Well, also talk a little bit about watching him develop. The first two starts, okay, maybe a learning process. And then it clicked. That maiden score, uh, you could see he just really lengthened his stride too. So obviously there's the pedigree with him being an arrogate, out of a tappet mare, for him to relish distance. But talk a little bit about the development to bring him to that point. I've said a couple of times, I think um, the adversity in those early races may have been our best friend and that he didn't have the perfect trip. And, um, you know, maybe there were errors made in those races that got him into trouble. And, and I think everything happens for a reason. And it, it really helped us stay focused and stayed in, stayed in the moment with him to stay patient with him because we had seen the brilliance. His breeze history wasn't a secret. The times were honest. And so we knew there was that that kid in there. And I think it allowed him to have that adversity and then understand not winning and then winning um, as crazy as, you know, and not to like over, over humanize it, but there is part of that. That's the development of a horse that, you know, that they need to, they need to have some adversity because it, I think helps them develop the character of what makes them successful. So, you know, those, those couple of trips that were, you know, very traffic marred, um, mm-hmm. helped him. Um, and they may have been an allowance race that we didn't visit because we had those extra seasonings under his belt and then Javier, you know, getting on him to come and give him that big trip, you know, he got clear, a little traffic there, but not crazy amount. And then when he got clear coming home um, at Gulfstream to get the win, and he did, you know, that last bit where he kind of got low and really opened his stride up and found that gear. It's like, there you go, buddy. You know, Now you felt that. It's astonishing. You look back over some of his races and and then you look at the morning line. He always took less money than what the morning line projected him to, even in this year's Belmont Stakes, where he was seven to one. And I think that was reflective of what we a lot of people. (laughs) Yes. But also what a lot of people observe from him in the morning and watching you train him and what he showed. I mean, how rare is it to have a horse? train as good in the morning and then perform just the same, if not better in the afternoon. It's amazing. It's a gift. And and I am so grateful for this horse um, just on who he is and whatever he accomplishes moving forward is just, you know, cake, obviously. But, you know, I, we always make the joke. And when you're a smaller trainer and a medium sized trainer, you get value with the trainer. <laughs> and so it's not a secret that if he were in, you know, a bigger program, those odds probably would have been half, if not less than. And, and that's their opinions. And you cannot allow those opinions to define how you train and how you place them. I respect that everyone has a job to do from handicappers to morning line odds to everything. And and they have to do their part. Um, Hopefully we can continue to shift the narrative on the smaller programs to not hammer the smaller and middle sized programs, because I think that thread comes through and can deter some owners from giving those people a chance. So, you know, you get the value buy sometimes and a little for people that enjoy wagering and betting. I personally do not. Um, there's enough pressure in this game than having money ride on a race as well. But I think um, that's something where we're shooting ourselves in the foot a little bit. Well, what, what are the advantages to a horse in a smaller stable? Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of hands-on and, and the big programs have hands-on too. Um, but I think 
a, a bigger horse, a medium horse, and a smaller and middle-sized stable is everything to that stable. And um, it's expected in the big programs, and it's, you know, how amazing for them. And their business isn't going to suffer because the little kid got something done. And so I think it's understanding and growing that through the middle part of our industry that, listen, it may be a great horse and a good horse in a big program, but it's going to be the big horse and the great horse and, and that middle person. And it not only can change lives, but I think the stewardship of that horse in those programs is going to be just as professional and just as successful. Jenna, do you think that there, or would you want your stable to grow? Or you, obviously you're going to get a lot of attention after this. Yeah, we're going to be really careful. Yeah. You know, honestly, it's, you know, we do what we do and, it, you know, like I've said before, do what you do and do it exceptionally well. Um, I, I'm not ever looked to have a stable of 150 horses. I enjoy the relationship with my horses. And so we're going to be careful through this process and be diligent and make good decisions. But our focus will continue to be um, great people. I, you know, it's a blast to work with great people and people that get it and are excited about it. And that needs to continue to be who we are. I've had plenty of career stuff, not just in the horse business, just dealing with people that aren't the same vibe and the same, I don't want to say they're bad people, but they're just not my people. And that's fine. There's people for everybody. And so that's going to continue to be our focus is to surround ourselves with the people that are uplifting and that just appreciate what we do and who we are and what we bring um, to the table. Well, talk about some of those people. I know Fiona Goodwin has been with you for quite a long time. Yeah. And that's, you know, the likes of Fiona and Robert and, you know, our ownership group that we kind of have around us right now are they're patient people. They appreciate what we do, the kind of conversations we have. And, you know, it's, it's just been a little bit more of less stress in a weird way because you're not trying to fill someone's narrative and you can just be in your space. And so getting older in life, I know I'm not a hundred by any means, I'm 47, but you, you go through those relationships with people that don't serve you to your best. And so being authentic to who I am and wanting to have those kind of good vibes and those good people around me is just a huge, a huge focus. Uh, talk too about the fact that you not only just train, it's not like you just got into training, but you started your career in 2012, 11. I took out officially my trainer's license then. Um, so, you know, it's, I found that whole part foreign way back then because being in the show horse world, it wasn't a thing. So when I learned that I had to actually have a license to go and race, I was like, okay, why not? And tootled myself down to Tampa to, you know, go take the test. And they looked at me like I had three heads because I didn't come from the traditional road of who did you work for? Who were you the assistant for? Who did you do this? You know, and it passed my test because I can read and write and um, understand how to take care of a horse. And so um, that part was fine and walking out the steward's office. And I'm sure there was an element of sarcasm, but, you know, towering over me, person of authority, puts his arms around me and he's like, you know, don't effing embarrass us, you know, kind of thing. And it was like, all right, cool. <laughs> Thanks for that, oh, words of encouragement. But that's just some of what, you know, you, you cut your teeth on in this and, you know, I'm, I'm not an immensely sensitive person. You know, people are going to talk. You can't control them. And that's, they do them. Let me do me. And I respect where he was coming from in that moment of like, we have no reason not to pass you. You're totally competent enough to do this, but it was, I was a no name. And so that was just how everything's just kind of evolved and, and carried on. Jenna, what does it take? You mentioned not being sensitive. What does it take to be a woman in this sport? You almost have to be 
tough, thick skinned. Yeah. I mean, it's tuning it out and having that table, you know, and that's yeah. where that quote kind of comes from is and putting yourself around those people that um, believe in you, believe in themselves and um, that are going to pick you up on those days. And um, it's, it's a, um, I'm not perfect at it. You know, I put a lot of very conscious effort towards it and um, there's always going to be trolls and there's always going to be people that you're not going to make happy. And, and that's, you know what, that's okay. Um, you know, don't be the people pleaser and lose yourself in that process. And so just staying focused on <laughs> when there's a harder day to check yourself a little bit, reground yourself, focus back in on it, get back into that horse that you're focusing in on. And um, it's okay that people have opinions and we need people to have opinions because it means they're engaging with us. And so mm. I'm not going to be everybody's cup of tea and that's completely fine. Jenna, just last week I called you directly and said, Jenna, I pitched this idea to Fox for mm-hmm. us to have a sit down interview about Archangelo and now I can't even get an appointment with you. Thank you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Thank you for doing it. And you did an amazing job with it. And Fox did an amazing job with it. But, and it's like, you know, it's crazy. Well, no, but what I wanted to ask is what has been the coolest interview you've gotten to do? What's been the coolest experience since winning the Belmont? Um, there's been a couple little things that have resonated with me just on a human level. Mm-hmm. Um, the... Um, I, I didn't do my career with the idea of, you know, what it's going to do for other people. Um, and so, but I am a big proponent of whatever industry you're in to kick back to your industry. I don't care what it is, but so that's part of my advocacy for aftercare and, you know, putting your time back in because it can't be one way. Yep. So for me, some of the messages that I've received from fellow horsemen, um, your husband included, um, very touching. Um, Tom's not always the warmest fella on there, and he has a square shoulder at times. And and that's he's fine. English. He's English. It's just who he is. <laughs> and so knowing that his thoughts were were genuine, and he didn't have to take his time to do it, and he did. And other horsemen, um, you know, just trying to treat people right through my career, and mm-hmm. and and just feeling and receiving all that in return has been. Um, very um, appreciative and kind. And um, there's been a couple of random people that have recognized me. And, you know, this morning, I've told the story a little while ago, we ran into, I needed a, a tea from Starbucks and we were at Krispy Kreme had their that annoying hot now sign on. So of course we had to go get a, a fresh Krispy Kreme. And, but as we were leaving um, Starbucks, um, my best friend, Angie was getting her coffee modified and the girls at Starbucks were super nice to be, Oh, what do you need? How can we fix it? And, and just, they were having, Oh, what are you doing here? And Angie was just having a super casual conversation. It wasn't any, Oh, you know, we're up because, you know, and you know, Jenna did, you know, a thing and, you know, just making light of it. And two ladies yeah. from, I think they were from Sweden. Was it Switzerland? Um, oh, wow. um overheard it because they, and they saw her earrings, she had little syrups on and they were like, wait, that's, that's her. That's just, that's the one that just did it. And they were probably in their, you know, I hate to age them, maybe in their fifties or something like that. And they were like starting to like weep. And I'm like, okay, I, I can't do any more crying right now, but just to see that it means something more than just a girl training horses, like the level of what it means for people and for women is that I could have never um, imagined. And so that's been the part where it's like, whoa okay. And so I have to, you know, I'm finding a place within me to be able to manage that and to um, receive that. And um, the gratitude I have for that is I can't even, I'm struggling still with that part. So those two parts would probably be my top, my top two right now. 
just the messages that I've been able to share with you on Twitter, for instance, uh, there's been some older women that have said, look, she made my childhood dream a reality and I'm getting to you know, live it through her. But also there's the younger generation that might just be starting out. And so you have paved the way in a sense for them. I, I know you don't like to feel that pressure, but how does well, it's that just feel? a worthiness level. Like it's right. like I'm not worthy to have that right. for them. But I, I it's just a finding a balance with that and, and again just trying to steward I'm gonna make mistakes. I'm I'm not infallible. And so just trying to pave and and make as many good decisions as we can with use, with horses and humans in my life and um just try and steward this opportunity and these horses the best possible, authentic way that we're able to. And that's how we'll continue to lead this team. Jen, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I, I want to relive the moment with you a little bit because, <laughs> girl, you can root a horse home. I, I, I do it myself. I'm not going to lie. Um, but take us back to watching Javi. I, I just got a, a chance to kind of rewatch the race a couple times. And there was a point going, you know, around the clubhouse turn and down the backside where Archangelo got a little strong with him. Yeah. What was your initial thought? Um, you know, we didn't expect um, Il Miracolo to stutter step and not um, have the position they should have had. And um, Javier was, I think, almost a little annoyed about that, to be honest, where he was like, you know, get out of the way. Come on now. Like, don't <laughs> yeah. muck it up here. We're all trying to ex execute a plan and um, say that lighthearted. And so um, I think just him being down inside more than we um, thought would pan out, um, which was probably a little bit of a good thing, too, where it threw him up in the bridle, where I think Archangel's like, you know, we mean business right now. Um, and so thankfully those fractions weren't too ridiculous going through that turn. And obviously that the turns being so sweeping and wide, it wasn't a huge deal. And then once he got out of that first turn and was able to get him to kind of tip out a tick and get him to, I was like, as soon as I said, and I'm sure it's earlier on a tape somewhere, you know, put your, he got, he's able to put his hands down. Exactly. I saw that cadence develop and that rhythm yep. develop and, um, everything just kind of sorted out at that point. We knew likely with that slower pace, we were going to be much more in touch with it. Um, he just has that natural cruising speed that we've talked about. And then as that turn developed, um, we had no plans of going up the rail. We fully expected we'd have to pan, you know, fan out and just go. We wanted to get a jump on him. Five eighths pull, we were anticipating he'd have him in the bridle and, you know, sitting on go, sitting on go. And then um, half mile pull, shading into the half mile pull start to ask to go. And if we could get the jump on him, they'd have to come and catch us. And um, when the pearly gates opened up on the inside, and I think it was just Johnny knew there was a horse back there. He didn't know who it was. He was watching his outside. He did everything right he was supposed to do, you know, fanning them out and not knowing really who was behind him. And it was that's on the video where I was like, I lost my mind because it was like, it never happens. And here it's happening on this stage in this race, we're going to get the jump on him and we're going to get the jump on him from the inside. Even though the rail was a little bit dead that day, I was like, you got to be freaking kidding me. And so that's where the came from. <laughs> and two, John Velasquez, as I think about it, and I think about it in day-to-day -day racing too, watching and having the privilege to watch these hall of famers yeah. ride day in yeah. and day out. There's only one jockey that's going to do that to John Velasquez, and it was yours. I'll take it. Exactly. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> and, and get away with it, too. Um, yeah. it, it's just a pleasure to watch, you know, Javier ride. And for him, 
to get this opportunity too to to finally tick off the Belmont Stakes, the place where he's been uh, his entire career. Yeah, so thrilled for him and and deservedly so. And he's put a lot into this game as a huge advocate too and promoting and um, wanting to see the game grow. And you know, PDJF and he and Johnny's both involvement with all of mm-hmm. that is, you know, he's giving back to the industry and the, and the industry is giving to him. Well, Jenna, I got to thank you so much for your time, for just being the leader and the voice of the sport right now that we wholeheartedly need. And thank you to Archangelo, too. He's such a dude. I got to say, when we set up all that rigmarole of lights, camera, action right outside his stall, I was like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And he just looked at it and was like, "Eh, okay. Yeah, and that's him. So, no, I'm so grateful for the horse and this journey and appreciate all that you've done and, and helping to deliver our message. Thank you. You've been a superstar at delivering it. Jenna Antonucci, your Belmont winning trainer with Archangelo. The Woodbine season is in full swing and we're partnered with them for the rest of 2023. The great racing north of the border at Woodbine continues with graded stakes all summer, highlighted by the King's Plate in August and the grade one Woodbine Mile in September. This upcoming weekend also features the Ballad Stakes on Saturday and the Alleywow Stakes on Sunday. Don't miss out on the action. For more information, go to woodbine.com. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. We'd like to thank Maggie and Jenna and Nick for joining us. We want to thank our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. You can give generously to their cause over at trfinc.org slash players. Most of all, want to thank all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your photos.